Hello, guys. Welcome back. Vegas Fever Podcast. Uh, just Jason with you for now. Paula might join us a little bit later. Uh, sitting here with Andy Yamashita, um, reporter for the L- Las Vegas Review Journal, covers UNLV hoops and aces, uh, among other things, among many things. I've seen him uh, do high school sports. I've seen him do rebel football, a little bit of everything. So we're really, really happy, uh, Andy, you can join us on the show today. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. I mean, uh, we've been talking about doing this for a while, so I'm glad we're able to make it work. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to get together. And it was super important for me to have you on uh, because of the state kind of what's going on in UNLV um, with the basketball program. I had some interesting questions, some some kind of questions that popped up uh, on my timeline. And I'm kind of interested to know uh, a couple things. Um First off, I wanted to just mention that this episode is sponsored by Inside the Rink, uh, insidetherink.com for all your hockey needs, podcast articles, and more, uh, insidetherink.com. So kind of want to start it with something that's been on a lot of people's minds and I think will continue to be on a lot of people's minds until it kind of sorts itself out or maybe uh, the team gets a little bit better so they won't have to answer this question. Kevin Kruger, year two, it's not going as well in my opinion, as year one went. So you got 18 wins last year. We're up to 16 right now. They were 10 and 0. What, from your feel around the program and in your opinion as well, what is Kevin Kruger's job status like going toward the end of this year, into the summer? It's definitely tough. I don't personally see him leaving this summer. It is, like you said, year two. This wasn't a program that was in the strongest position when he took over. This is his first stint as a college head coach, which I don't think has been maybe something that people have talked about as much. You know, there's an expectation here at UNLV, obviously, to compete and to be a great program. But, you know, this is a program that hasn't had a lot of continuity. At some point, I think you need to stick with a guy and let him develop, let him bring in players, obviously with the transfer portal, that makes everything a little different now too. But I think to be honest, the thing is, you know, the next Tark isn't necessarily walking through that door. There might not be another Tark ever, period. You know, you're looking for some stability. You're looking for some continuity. And I don't think you get that by looking for a new head coach after just two years of Kevin Kruger. My, my concern, and I'm I'm in an agreeance with you. Uh, I've never once thought in the last almost two years that Kevin Kruger should, should go ever. I, I I'm just in that I'm in the standpoint and the mindset where you basically let, you know, you let him cook and you leave him alone. And my, and, and my opinion is backed up with the fact that what has UNLV done lately in the last six, seven years that would, that would change my opinion. Nothing. Because you bring in Marvin Menzies after the Chris Beard rebound. He was never going to be the guy. That was an absolute disaster. I almost felt bad for Marvin Menzies. And then you and then TJ Otzelberger was a solid hire. I mean, what he did was really, really good. South Dakota State, um, NCAA tournament, young and up and coming. That's the guy. But what he did was he brought Kevin Kruger on his staff from Oklahoma, from his father's program, Lawn at Oklahoma, and that was really the key. He's young. I feel like you can point to examples like Lawn's first two years at UNLV was crap. I mean, it was average, I would say. 
You know what I mean? I even made a reference, and it's maybe a stupid reference, that Mike Krzyzewski's first two years at Duke were garbage, and look at what happened. And I know that that means absolutely zero right now, but I don't think you can fire the man because he wasn't he wasn't successful the first two years, and he wasn't this athletic director, Eric Harper's choice. So I think that plays a part in it. And, you know, in terms of what you said about Jerry Tarkanian, there isn't another one that's coming back and people need to realize that. And, you know, on UNLV Twitter's time, you know, on UNLV basketball Twitter, they are just so they want the next Tark. They want the glory days back. You've got to, you've got to, that's a process. You've got to allow the process to work. And I don't think firing him is a good idea um, at this point either. Uh, I, I think what of, it just comes down to is, like I said, continuity. I don't right. – is Kevin Kruger the guy? We don't know. But do you? how much do you gain by firing him after two years? What does that tell other coaches? Mm-hmm. You're only going to have two years here to build something, even if you sign a five-year contract. So to me, at some point, you can't keep putting it off and be like, we're going to have continuity with the next guy. And then two years into that guy, you're like, well, we'll have continuity after the next guy. At some point you need to stick with someone and see what they can do. And I'm sure that after this season, because I would agree his first season, what really made that season feel successful and what kind of got all of his assistants poached, which is I think another thing that people don't talk about as much. He's got a completely new uh, on court staff to help him out this year. That's right. But you know, it was the momentum going into the tournament, right? Beating Colorado State away, some of the things Bryce Hamilton was able to do down the stretch. That was what made you feel like this program was going in the right direction. Obviously, it's kind of been the opposite this year. But again, it's year two of a coach who is in his second year ever as a a head coach. You Mm -hmm. had to know you were going to get some ups and downs. I think we've seen some learning moments for Kevin, both like on the recruiting side and on the X's and O's basketball side. And I think that had to be expected. Again, you're hiring a coach who is, this is his first job Mm. and those things have to be expected. Yeah. When he lost Carlin Hartman to Florida, that was tough um, because Carlin Hartman was Lon's left arm at Oklahoma for a number of years. And to be able for Kevin, to be able to get him to come to UNLV was amazing. And then he left after a year and you're absolutely right. Replacing the entire staff, so much momentum going into the tournament, you know, the conference tournament last year, it didn't, it didn't, you know, it, they weren't able to make it through, but I felt like he was going in the right direction and he lost uh, every assistant he had. So, I mean, that's not, that's not ideal, but the team did start 10 and 0 this year. Um, and they, they are now 16, 11, 16 and 11. So they've lost, I mean, a handful of games. I'm sorry. I had the math. Uh, I had the math in front of me, but I don't have it right now. So basically UNLV started 10 and 0 now 16 and 11 in conference five and 10. They're going to have another double digit conference loss uh, season. What have you seen that's happened um, to UNLV since they started off 10 and 0 besides, besides a big injury? <laughs> the injuries have definitely been a part of it. I think they had such a consistent rotation going in you knew exactly what you were getting from Elijah Parquet every night. You knew exactly what you were getting from Luis Rodriguez every night. Those guys having their statuses kind of be up and down. 
I think it's not only hurt the rhythm of the team, but it's hurt them. Luis Rodriguez's shooting has fallen off in the last couple months. Just And I think that comes down partially to just not getting consistent reps because he hasn't been healthy all the time and dealing with a groin injury after that Fresno State game. And obviously, Parquet was a huge part of what got them to that 10-0 record. But, I mean, the other part of it is it wasn't the most challenging non-conference schedule. I don't think that'll be any kind of big news or big revelations to any UNLV fans. It was always going to be a schedule that you thought, well, maybe this will develop some confidence, develop some momentum for them entering the conference season, and then you'll kind of see what's really there, you know? And the defense just hasn't been at that same extremely high level that it was against some of those teams early on. You know, teams are scoring pretty easily against them. UNOV still turning teams over a lot, but if they're not turning them over, the teams are getting high percentage looks. They're hitting open threes. I'd say things start on that end. This team, in my opinion, has been better offensively than I thought they would be. When I looked at their roster heading into the season, it was like, where are they going to get the points from? They've got the scoring more or less. uh, EJ Harkless has done a great Mm -hmm. job providing that for them. But I look at this roster, and it's just missing that one guy. If you have Bryce Hamilton on this team, he is a borderline turn. EJ and can be when your main scores off the court, this team looks fantastic. So I just think they haven't played defense the way they needed to and the way they were at the beginning of the season, even though their offense has been maybe better than expected. Yeah, I remember, I mean, the second that Parquet got hurt, it it, it flipped a lot of fortunes for UNLV, even though their non-conference schedule, we you know, was mediocre at best. You know what I mean? Um, the San Francisco loss was a bad loss. Um, that shouldn't have happened. It happened the game after, you know, Parquet got hurt. Um, it, it just, he doesn't score a lot, but he defends. And it, it's almost like he starts the trend of, of, of being that hard defender and everybody follows. And then without him, it was kind of like, well, we all know how to play defense, but it was kind of confusing because now we don't have our leading dude out there who's, you know, ball hawking all over the place. So now what do we do? They shouldn't, I mean, that, the problem started when they lost to San Francisco, then they lost to San Diego State, they lost to San Jose State. Um, And then after that, they weren't in the NCAA tournament conversation. uh, And they haven't been for quite some time. This is going to be 10 years that UNLV has not been in the tournament. Um, There is maybe a player that can change fortunes for UNLV. And there's a lot of people who really seem to think that if they're able to land this guy, then everything is going to change. And I don't necessarily think that UNLV is his first choice, but he is local. Uh, He's getting recruited by everybody. DJ Thomas, son of Deedon Thomas, who went to UNLV as well. He is, has UNLV in his final six. What do you think UNLV can do or have they done enough to land DJ? Do you think they will? I think they've certainly put themselves in a position where it's not as out of the realm of possibilities as it might seem like on the surface. When you look at the other teams he has in his top six, right, it's kind of a pick and choose with the best of college basketball right now. But, you know, UNLV has done a lot. He's a priority recruit for them, obviously. Kevin Kruger and his staff have been out to watch him several times. And they've definitely put themselves in a position where it's not out of the realm of possibility, I'd say. I think. 
the interesting thing, and I got to see him play in the Southern League uh, championship against Durango the right. other day. And that he's, was, yeah, it just happened. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And he's certainly an impressive player. You see a lot. It was funny because that was really my first time getting to see an entire game of him live. And the first quarter, I was like, I don't know. You know, Durango plays really good defense. Like, I'm not totally seeing it. But in the second quarter to the end of the game, you know, he finishes with 30 points. A lot of that was because Durango basically said, DJ, you are going to beat us because your teammates are not going to – we're not giving your teammates any room to to do that. And, you know, he, he took them close. You know, he had them within two points with about two minutes left. And he's really nice in the mid-range. He's got all these little tricks. You know, he's not – the biggest guy he's not necessarily the fastest guy you're going to see but he's got a lot of little moves to create space for himself I think the question is with him you got to find guys to play around him you know he might be that program changing guy but you need to put him in the right position again he's not the tallest guy you've ever seen he's not the greatest high school shooter you've ever seen you know you're gonna need he plays best when he's surrounded by good talent and the question is, you know, if you bring him to UNLV, do you have those pieces around him to, you know, put him in the best position to succeed? Because that's what it's about at the end of the day for him, right? No, right? As much as I'm sure he would love to help UNLV get back to where they want to be, it's about putting him in a good situation for him. And, you know, obviously he's got UCLA, he's got Gonzaga, he's got Houston in there. Yeah. Can those put him in a better situation? Right now, probably. Obviously the transfer portal will play into that for yeah. UNLV. But I think – those are the things to be fair to DJ to keep it realistic for him. I don't, you know, the program saver tag is a heavy one to carry, especially if you've never, if he's not even committed to the program yet. And even if he is, you know, there are limited, there are reasonable expectations for him one way or another. And I think it depends a lot on who UNLV can surround him with. If he does decide to come to Las Vegas. I'm I'm worried about Arizona too because Arizona's in there too, and he was just there. I, I don't know, you know what I mean. You're talking about UCLA, and you're talking about all these programs that are involved with him, and I don't get the best feeling. I don't know why this is. I don't really get the best feeling, uh, and this is based off of absolutely nothing. I don't. I just don't think he's coming. I, I I don't know. You're absolutely right about the collective effort to get a team, not just one person, into taking the program back to any kind of state of what they were. Uh, even when Lon Kruger was here, which was NCAA tournament every year and people and people bitched, you know, what I mean, I mean, uh, you know, you take your medicine, sometimes it tastes like crap, you know what I mean? So a big old pill of 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 humble pie for the last how many years is what UNLV has been swallowing. It's just it's just crap. So you can't depend on one guy. It's definitely a collective effort. I don't know if UNLV is going to be able to bring enough in around him. I think that Kevin Kruger did a great job in the portal last year. Uh, he's got to get a few more high school kids. I think that just getting kids that are could be at least, you know, could be at least two to three year guys. We know that kids don't stay. You know what I mean? Between the portal and the NBA, uh, kids don't stay. But if you you have a little bit more of a chance, uh, if you give yourself um, a couple more years with with kids that maybe are local or from any high school at all. Um, you know that's that's interesting too because one thing that I don't think people are quite talking about as much is I really like Brooklyn Hicks, the point guard they got from the Seattle area. He's actually more like Tacoma slash Olympia area. I've got mm. friends actually who cover preps up there, 
pretty regularly. I went to school up in the Seattle area and they rave about him. He's, you know, kind of a herky jerky, again, not the most physically overpowering player, but I, but he can score. He's I think been the MVP of that league two or three times at this point. So, you know, that's a really intriguing one for me next year. Obviously DJ could theoretically reclassify. It is possible for him. He has the academics to do that if he wants to, but you know, there's definitely, I, I see what you mean about wanting to find more of those three, four year guys. You look at the San Diego States, right? You look at the teams that do well in this conference and they have guys who've been here for a long time. Prime example for 10 years running, at least maybe closer. To the Mountain West is one of the most difficult college basketball conferences in the country. I don't think that's even close for debate anymore. It's not. And to win in a conference like this, you need vets. You need, and I think you saw the value of that early in the season for UNLV. Obviously, the Parquets and the Harklesses and the Rodriguez's, he talked a lot about their leadership, how important they were to everything they were doing. But you do need to kind of develop those guys on your own. Maybe you have one with Keyshawn Gilbert. You know, Keyshawn Hall looks like he's maybe going to give you something if he can figure out his defense a little bit. I mean, every time he's on the court offensively, he looks like one of their best players. So, I can definitely see what you mean about you need guys who are not only, you know, attuned to the program, but attuned to the conference and and what it's going to take to win here. And again, the programs that have done it here the longest are all full of guys who've been there two, three, four years. Yeah. San Diego State was a really, really good example. This this conference, and this has been for a while now, has been really, really difficult to win on the road. Some teams can't even win at home. Um, it's the fifth best conference in America in, in terms of, I don't know if it's the, it's net or Ken Palm. Uh, I always get them confused. I don't know why, but it's better than the ACC this year. And the ACC had North Carolina in the championship game last year. And UNLV is in a conference that is the fifth best conference in America. And they're looking at multiple bids, maybe three. Um, I don't know if they're going to get to four. Uh, the conference is not, is not easy to play in. Um, one more thing, too, before we totally sure. move on from DJ Thomas is sure. when I was a student journalist up at Washington, you know, mm. Mike Hopkins got two top 10 freshman recruits, Jaden McDaniels and Isaiah Stewart. And everyone thought that was going to be, you know, the greatest season in, you know, UW basketball history. And then the point guard got academically disqualified and everything fell apart and they went on like an eight game losing streak and weren't even close to any kind of tournament contention. So that's where, again, with DJ, I'd say, you know, would it be a huge boost for this team and this program? Absolutely. But he is, he would be a freshman whenever right. he gets here. If he reclassifies, he'd be a young freshman. Yeah. And that's a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure to put on a kid, no matter how good they are. So you mentioning that is pretty interesting that you, I know that you were in Indy and I know you were in Denver and I know you're in Seattle and this really brings an interesting point, And I'm wondering if you have an answer to this question, because it would be really, really cool. Dave Rice was on that Washington staff. Mm-hmm. You were there when that you were there when he was there, right? Yeah, a little bit. Did you ever get to talk to Dave and ask him anything about now? I know you weren't here yet, but were you able to talk to Dave? His story just came out in the RJ or it might've been the sun. It was the sun. I'm sorry. Um, did you ever get to talk to Dave and ask him about his UNLV time? I didn't. Dave was very much kind of in the background for UW. Hopkins was the face of that program, and he would, you know, go up and talk anytime they needed a statement. So I didn't really 
get to talk to Dave like that, but it is kind of a funny coincidence, I guess, mm. that I was there briefly while he was there. I think when I took over the UNLV men's basketball beat for the student newspaper, that was like his last year there before right. they kind of went out. So, yeah, I didn't really get to talk to him. Unfortunately, I don't have a great answer for you there, but yeah. No, that's perfectly fine. It was a shot in the dark. You mentioned <laughs> Washington and you mentioned Hopkins and you mentioned, I'm like, Dave was, Dave was an assistant there. So I was wondering if it was kind of a shot in the dark, but um, we kind of, we kind of know all, all of the story now of what happened with Dave. I kind of wanted to move into this a little bit. So on piggybacking DJ Thomas, you've got guys that are going to leave. Some are going to stay. I mentioned on Twitter that you can't have an eight dude rebuild. You can't, you can't lose a whole bunch of guys. Opinions from you on who stays and you know, who let, let's do this. Who leaves? Who do you think leaves UNLV this year? That still has eligibility. That's the interesting one, right? Cause I was going to say, obviously the answers are, you know, Parkhead is out of eligibility. Harkless right. is out of eligibility. Jordan McCabe is out of eligibility. So you're losing three guys there, no matter what. It'll be interesting to see what happens after that. You know, you have guys like Iwako and Muaka and Webster who are all technically seniors this year, but because of COVID, they have that extra COVID year. Do they want to, you know, those guys all transfer to UNLV, but if they graduate, they can grad transfer again. Do they want to go try a power five for their last year of college basketball? You know, a guy like Webster, I think, he just with the way that he shoots the ball could probably find his way onto almost any power five roster at this point. So it'll definitely be interesting to see who he keeps around again. Muaka, obviously he's back in the starting lineup now, but you got benched midway through the season. Maybe he decides, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else for my last year. I don't want to be here. So I agree. You know, again, we've talked a lot about how important continuity is to a program. Those were the guys who were just had a little bit of that continuity last year to this year. I think it'll be important to try and keep those guys around, especially because some of them do have some options to go elsewhere. I think if you had asked me after the non-conference season, Keyshawn Gilbert was one that I would said, mm. you know, it's going to be really important for them to keep hold of him. But with how his conference season is gone, you know, maybe those options aren't there as much for him anymore. But I'm trying to think who else is even, you know, Rodriguez. I thought yeah. if he could shoot 35 to 37%, he's, a senior, he has another year, I believe, but he also has a redshirt injury year. So maybe he would decide he's just done and wants to go try being a pro. I thought if he could shoot 35, 37% from three this year, he probably would be gone. But, you know, it's, his shooting's fallen off as the year's gone on. Maybe he decides to come back, give it one more try. So there's definitely got to be some recruitment of your own guys to come back. Again, continuity, you need – you can't be replacing eight guys again. I, I think you're right about that. Like that has the turnover has been really hard on them in general. And it'll be interesting to see what happens this off season. Yeah. It's a crucial one for Kevin Kruger. Um, should he stay? I think he'll stay. I think he'll, I think he'll be allowed to stay. It's a really, really important off season. Um, for him, you mentioned David Mwaka. I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not impressed with David Mwaka. I know that, look, besides him being a horrific free throw shooter, I just, he looks sometimes lost and confused when he's out on the floor. I'm not sure UNLV's metrics are the best either when he's out there. I like a Waka. I mean, there's no two ways about that. I think that that's a much better option to keep for UNLV. And of course, Keshawn Gilbert. Um, 
if you can keep a you know a couple of those core guys and add and if you can get dj i know you're gonna you know you mentioned brooklyn hicks if dj reclassifies of course that is there's a lot of ifs man surrounding this program i just i don't after last year i was way more um upbeat about it than i am right now um especially with the last three games UNLV heads into the conference tournament. You know, they're probably going to be in the 7-10 game or 8-9 game. It could get worse for UNLV. Their schedule is not favorable. I mean, they get Air Force and then they're, you know, I think Air Force is the winnable game uh, if they win the other couple or not. I, I mean, with you know, a return game with Reno, um, not favorable. So they'll be anywhere between 7 and 10. Do you see them being able to pull off a, a win in the conference tournament or two? I definitely think they should get one. I mean, you look at the – clearly Fresno State has their number, but – Yeah, they do. You know, one of the things with this team too, and I I don't want to sound like a homer again. I'm not a UNLV fan. I cover the team. It's what happens to them. doesn't – That's why I wanted really you on. Impact. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really impact my day-to-day <laughs> happiness, right? But, right. you know, you look at that team. If they win – both of those overtime games, which they should have, obviously the Isaiah Stevens prayer of a shot, you know, Kruger said it after the game. I don't think he was wrong. You know, you can live with that for 99 out of a hundred, you know, threes, I guess. I mean, he launched it from overhead from the half court line. Yeah. Um, then, I mean, you could foul. That's the, that is the one thing, but the, uh, and then the, the San Jose state game, right. Um, coming off of the Christmas break. If you win those two games, the, the record looks a lot better. That being said, you know, I, I think they can win one of those, at least one game in that seven to ten. But you know, a four-game tournament run is pretty much unheard of in this in this tournament. And you know, a, a first tournament win for Kruger would be important. Maybe he can scratch a second one. I think you talked to some of the players last year. You're talking about Victor Walker and his importance. Justin Webster said before the season, if we'd had Victor for the game against Wyoming, we would have won that game. And I don't I don't think he's wrong about that. You know, that was a really competitive game. Came down to freshman Keyshawn Gilbert missing a three from the corner, and you didn't have your best interior defender. I do think one thing with that, too, I wanted to go back and, and touch on this, was I think Muaka and Iwako have gone in opposite directions, really. They benched him. They benched Muaka looking for that fire. They talk about that a lot. They want him to be tough. They want him to play to his size and to be big and unabashedly big. And, you know, with him around the rim, though, he causes so much havoc for opposing teams just because he alters shots. He had four blocks in the first 10 minutes in their most recent game. And, you know, he does he have the best hands in the world? No. Is he a great option on offense? Not really. But Victor hasn't really given them a lot on offense either. And he's kind of gone downhill as they've played with smaller lineups than they did last year. I mean... Their forward situation will be interesting. They need they need bodies. And, again, if Keyshawn Hall can give them anything on defense next year, I think he's a guy to look at who will be important. But if they keep playing the small, too, I mean, Victor's sometimes the biggest guy out there for UNLV, and he's, like, the third or fourth biggest guy out there on the court in general. So that'll be something to watch going forward. But in the tournament, I think you can – you should get one if you're in that 7-10 to 10 or 7-11 to 11 game, you know. Um, and after that, you know, this team has beaten, you know, Nevada and it's beaten New Mexico, right? They're kind of weird in that they 
like to get up for big games. They beat Dayton when Dayton was ranked. Do all those wins age well? Maybe, but it's in them, I think, to maybe get one big upset. I don't think they're going to go on a four-game run and win the tournament. Just I don't think anybody does that. But, you know, uh, anything is possible, I guess. That's why you play the game. Yeah, it's true. You know, they beat San Diego State twice in the second half, you know, <laughs> and that's uh, that's one of those uh, moral victories uh, that that kind of, uh, you know, Kevin Kruger pointed out to, uh, you know, and, and, and some of the media members pointed out to uh, as well is that, yeah, you know, we 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 beat them in the second half. I don't, I'm not going to lie, I don't totally buy into that for the San Diego State <laughs> games. We're both kind of over at halftime, but, yeah. you know, I, I see I see where you're going for on that. <laughs> Yeah, so we can hope for a little bit of 1998 UNLV uh, whack tournament magic. UNLV won four games in four days. Uh, we can hope for that. Uh, Andy Yamashita from the Las Vegas Review Journal uh, is joining us. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, you could see where you could find him on Twitter. Uh, listening to us on any, on any other platform, it's capital A N and then Yamashita. Uh, is the is the handle on twitter wanted to get to an uh an aces you know a little bit of uh, vegas aces notes um while i have you here the the las vegas aces won vegas's first professional sports championship ever it'll always be that way and they had a fantastic team they lost a couple of pieces but gained a piece um so in your mind uh, what do they got to do to repeat as champs? Well, I mean, we're entering this super team era of the WNBA. It seems pretty clear on paper that it's going to come down to the Aces or the New York Liberty, who are all kind of assembling over there under Joe Sy and, and his wife, um, which I'm going to get killed because I can't remember her name off the top of my head. But um, we'll hope she don't listen. Or yeah. Um, but, you know, this is going to be a great season one way or another. Obviously, there's a lot of drama surrounding the Aces offseason in terms of how the Dierica Hamby deal went down. But Aces fans can look forward to the fact that you got Candace Parker, yes. arguably the second biggest piece on the market this offseason, depending on whether you count John Quill Jones. But, you know, the Aces are set up certainly to do some great things. I think one of the big advantages they have over the Liberty is that the Liberty are going to have to figure out how to play together, right? You've got John Quell playing with Sloot, playing with Sabrina, playing with Brianna Stewart for the first time. Mm -hmm. The Aces already have a structure and a very good structure in place. Becky Hammond coached the hell out of that team last season. And Candace maybe fits a little better what they want to do. And if they can integrate her well and also integrate Alicia Clark well, I think that's a really interesting piece plays very similarly to Dierica Hamby and shoots the three a lot better. I certain if the aces don't contend, it's probably a failure given, given how many moves they've made and how stacked their roster is. But I fully expect them to be back in the semifinals, no doubt. And certainly in the finals, this is such a good core, a core again, that has lots of experience playing together. If, you know, as long as all this off the court stuff, doesn't impact their game i can't imagine them not being competitive yeah i am worried about the hamby situation that was that was kind of interesting uh when i read that when i when i saw that come across my phone i was it's like that's something that could have a have a direct fact you know direct impact i guess only time will tell about that um a thought on Becky Hammond is that you know she was uh an assistant for greg popovich in san antonio she should be coaching men like 
she's super good at what she does. The aces, you know, and Bill Lambie are super lucky to be able to get her to come here when in reality, and she could have probably waited another couple of years or less and got a job in the, I mean, she should get a job in the NBA. She should be the first woman to coach men. That's, there's no doubt about that. No doubt in my mind. And I tell people this all the time. One of the biggest privileges of my job is getting to listen to Becky Hammond talk about basketball. And it's funny because during press conferences, sometimes you get the feeling that she's trying to be like Popovich, very brusque, very short, very to the point. But she loves the X's and O's so much. She like can't help herself from like really getting into it and starting to talk about it. And, you know, she's, again, done a fantastic job. She has figured out a way she adapts. I think that's one of the best signs about a coach, right? She came in with a very specific idea of how she wanted to play, you know, five out kind of very little reliance in the post, but quickly figured out that, you know, the post game is still very alive and a very crucial part to the WNBA and the way that these teams play. And she adapted, you know, making the decision to move Hamby to the bench before, the playoffs before Hamby ended up, you know, announcing she was pregnant and leaving the, or she got injured actually first, but, you know, uh, making that move again and putting Kia Stokes into the starting lineup, I think was a big move. That was a big decision for her to make and it paid off. I think they lost one game or two games after Kia entered the starting lineup. So I think her adaptability has been amazing. I mean, obviously the ATO she drew up against the storm in the semifinal were ridiculous. I mean, that was some top tier coaching. I really think every season at this point that the aces get to keep her is aces fans should just appreciate it. Cause I have no idea how much longer she'll be here, but yeah, I mean, no, no one else deserves to kind of be that first woman to coach in the NBA. Like Becky Hammond does. Obviously she's been a, a trailblazer ever since she joined pop staff and she's a Naismith hall of fame finalist this year could go in with pop and, Tony Parker and which I think would be extremely poetic. Um, so yeah, I mean, she, she's incredible. The aces on court, the aces are pretty exciting and fun to watch. And Vegas is definitely lucky to have them again, as long as all this off the court stuff doesn't completely blow up their season. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Right now, Vegas sports is run by, is run by ladies. You got lady rebels. You've got aces. You've got, on the men's side, I mean, Rebel Hockey is doing fantastic. So, you know, these programs, somebody's got to carry the town. You know what I mean? Because it's been rough. It's been rough for the, two, for, you know, for the two major, you know, for the, uh, you know, two programs that carry the athletic department. It's been, it's been rough. Um, and that Shout aspect. out to the Lady Rebels. Lindy LaRock Definitely. is doing some incredible things with that program. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a program two people kind of forget. The Lady Rebels, at the same time that the running Rebels were really good. The Lady Rebels were consistently making tournaments, getting ranked yep. in the AP poll. They have a Sweet 16 appearance. And, you know, <laughs> Lindy's done a lot to bring them back to where, you know, they haven't been for a long time. Yeah, no, really, really proud of of, of what they've been able to do. Continuation off of last year. Uh, they had a tough first-round exit uh, in the tournament against Arizona. Gave Arizona uh, all at, they could handle. At, at their place, too. Yeah, yeah they did. Um, and instead of just being, you know, the thing about Lindy LaRock, which is amazing, is that she could have 
it would have been so easy to fold her, her players and her staff and they just got at it again. You know what I mean? They get back in there over the summer and they come back this fall, this past fall and they're ready to go. And they're won 15 games in a row. Um, they're second, second straight mountain West title. Um, they got everything going on. The problem that I see, the only, the only issue that I see is that if they don't win the conference tournament and they don't have like 30 victories, they might not get in. And I hate that. And it took them all this time to get ranked because they hadn't played a team that was in the top 75 in America. And they finally get ranked. And if they don't basically, if they don't win the rest of their games and probably like get to like the final of the conference tournament, because at that point they would have, they would have about 30 victories. If they don't do that, they might be out. And that's insane. That's, 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 there's no justice in that. You know what I mean? But that's, but that's the absolute truth. Of, oh, it is. You know, and Lindy knows that too. You know, she talks about that a lot, just that they understand the situation that they're in with their conference and they understand what they have to do and, and everything that goes with it. You know, they didn't make it the year before last year because they didn't win the conference tournament. So, you know, a couple of those, most of those players aren't there anymore who experienced that, but a couple of them still are and, and know what it feels like to have a great season and not get to go. And it would be a shame for this, this team to not make it considering everything they've done. But again, they understand, I, they have a pretty clear understanding of, of what they need to do in this conference tournament coming up here. Andy Yamashita folks covers the uh, UNLV rebels and uh, Las Vegas Aces for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, he was our guest on this show. Follow him on Twitter at an Yamashita. Um, Andy, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. We hope you come back um, and uh, and go Rebels and Aces. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks, Andy. Andy Yamashita, folks. Uh, Las Vegas Review Journal uh, covers covers the Rebels. And the Aces. Um, I guess before we get out of here, talk a little bit about uh, the Golden Knights. Uh, Golden Knights are going to take on the Chicago Blackhawks just in just a little while. Uh, Vegas five and zero from the All Star after the, you know coming out of the All Star break. Tops in the Pacific with seventy two points. Uh, Aiden Hill is now nicked up as well, so you get uh, Laurent Brissois is starting tonight against Chicago. And uh, Michael Hutchinson uh, up from Henderson will will back him up. Uh, the trade talk is only getting hotter for Patrick Kane uh, and others. Um, you know, obviously Ryan O'Reilly was dealt, and you know Vladimir Tarasenko was dealt. So it, it's it's basically right now Vegas is looking at a few options. Um, Mark Stone, his 9.5, uh, amount of money salary was, was put in LTIR, $9.5 million of relief for the Golden Knights. So they'll be able to use that. And that just only kicks up, um, more and more rumors, uh, to see who, who Vegas gets. Um, but you know what, on that note, let's talk about Vegas varsity, vegasvarsity.com, uh, at Vegas varsity on Twitter. Um, Use our code VFP10 at checkout for an extra 10% off of amazing, fantastic merch such as, such as this, uh, this running hat, which, you know, if you don't even like you, you don't even got to like UNLV, you know what I mean? This is just a great style. This this hat is pretty fantastic. So check it out. 
VegasVarsity.com. Um, this shirt as well, Shark Tank, uh, an ode to Jerry Tarkanian and his building of the Thomas and Mack Center, which is turning 40 years old this November, is on that side as well, as my, as in addition to many, many other things. Um, be sure and follow the show on, on YouTube uh, at the Vegas Fever Podcast and then, you know, just about anywhere podcasts are distributed and listened to. We are on there as well. The Golden Wife at the golden wife on Twitter is Paula. I'm at Vegas fever pod. Uh, be sure and check us out. Like subscribe, give us some, some feedback. Um, me and Paula will be back with you next week. And we also have some really, really cool guests coming up. So be, be on the lookout for that guys. Um, for Paula and myself, this is Jason. Uh, everybody, uh, be safe. Have- 